It's your radio sisters. I'm Rachel. I'm Bo. And I'm Allie Cat. Well, we're singers, songwriters, and sisters. And if you're curious about the creative process like we are, stick around right here. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories and interviews from the world's biggest stars and most creative minds. You'll take away artistic gems to fuel your own creative process and get that project started already. Or get the mojo to keep on going. That's right. It's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. <laughs> Well, this is Rachel with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and we're so happy you're here with us today for more creative inspiration, positivity, and mojo for your weekend. Oh, yeah. Love having you along. You know, we all have those fast-paced lives, and for us, three moms and sisters, we're always trying to juggle all the things, <laughs> and it gets a little crazy. <laughs> That's so right, Allie, and so much of what we live is from the outside in, but on this show, you'll get in touch with the inside, the creative process where the true you is high under all the obligations of life. Mm -hmm, Rachel, and today you're going to hear from three guests who will get you in touch with your creative passion. Let's get to it, sisters. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity stories, songs. You're going to have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. First up today, guys, you're going to meet music mogul and legend David Foster. Now, this guy wrote or produced so many songs, so many hits, including winning a Grammy for the production of I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. song I Have Nothing for Whitney Houston. He produced the iconic duet of Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole for the song Unforgettable. He wrote After the Love is Gone, Earth, Wind, and Fire. He wrote and produced The Prayer, Andrea Bocelli and Celine Dion. Wrote the song Glory of Love, Peter Cetera. He wrote Grown Up Christmas List for Amy Grant and produced the smash hit Because You Loved Me for Celine Dion. And there are so many more guys, but I gotta stop the list right there. And this guy has 47 Grammy nominations, 16 of which he won He's the seventh most Grammy-nominated artist in the history of Grammys. Today, he's going to tell you all about his musical career, his highlights. And guys, you know how we sing the musical intros for each of our guests. This is the first time this has happened, but David Foster tweaks our song. So you got to hear this. (laughs) Okay, sisters, who's next? Well, then you're going to hang out with the film director. Her name is Leanne Lunson. She's from Australia, and she just wrapped a movie that stars Willie Nelson. You're going to hear all about if you're truly your authentic self. You'll attract the projects and people that will help you grow personally and professionally and not give up joy in the process. Mm -hmm. That's such an important factor. All right, sisters, who's next? Well, then you're going to hang with two doctors, Dr. Roizen and Dr. Crew Payne. And they're going to tell you not only the healthy foods to eat, but when to eat. It's all about eating with the sun. Circadian rhythm. It's kind of a cool new approach to eating. You're going to love it. And the best thing about it, sisters, is it's actually easy to follow because all the reminders are all around you. All you have to do is look outside. Yes, if it's dark, don't eat. If it's light, eat. It doesn't get any easier than that. I think that's something I can actually handle. (laughs) And of course, it dives a little deeper than that. The book is called What to Eat When, and it's going to be fun, sisters, to see how the doctors react when we sing them onto the show. (laughs) That's right. Before we take that deep dive into the show, Allie, you were a crew leader this week. 
Yes, I was. It was VBS week for my kiddos this past week, Vacation Bible School, and I decided this year to sign up as a crew leader. And my two kiddos were part of the group. And going into this, I was a little bit apprehensive because I've never been a teacher before. And I was worried about the group paying attention to me and kind of getting them to go to the right station. Follow directions. Yes, all of that. <laughs> but it turns out I had the wrong worry. Okay, spill the tea. All the kiddos in the group listened to me except my own two kids. <laughs> they were the hardest to control. And I would say, let's do this. And they'd run off and do something else. And I had to be like to my own kids, follow these other kids, do what the other kids are doing. Sally, <laughs> I'm nodding my head in agreement over here because all of us moms, we've totally been there. So next year, I just might sign up as a crew leader and request that my own kiddos are not are in my not group. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Well, we're all in this group together, and David Foster will soon be calling the class to order. We'll be back here after the break with 16-time Grammy winner David Foster. He'll be sprinkling your life with some creative inspiration. We'll meet you right here on the Mulberry Lane Show, right around the corner. This is Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Woo! This segment is brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology, Advanced Comprehensive Medical, Surgical, and Cosmetic Dermatologic Care. BraddockFinnegan.com Your one-stop shop for creativity. Welcome back to the Mulberry Lane Show. This is Rachel with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie. David Foster is a 16-time Grammy-winning songwriter, producer, arranger, performer, and brought you superstars like Celine Dion, Josh Groban, and Michael Buble. And right now, you guys get to know David up close and personal. David Foster here, you're in luck. Meet the music man with the magic touch. Yeah, I like that, but I only heard you. I didn't hear your sister. You didn't hear my harmony? No. Well, we better Your do sister. it again then. Yeah, I heard the melody. Okay, let's do it again. <laughs> we gotta okay. do this right for you. <laughs> we'll do it on one mic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. here we go. Here we go. Okay. David Foster here. You're in luck. Meet the music man with the magic touch. And that's what I do for a living. <laughs> that was a absolutely perfect demonstration. Perfect. <laughs> we love perfect. it. Okay. So now I've read that you believe there are three rounds in each person's life. Now, your first round was as a studio musician and a recording artist, then as the hottest producer songwriter on the planet. And now you feel like you're into your third round. So talk about what that looks like and what informs your rounds. How do you know where you're going next? Um, I guess it's just the way you retreat and attack in another direction when something's not working. You just retreat and attack in another direction. The people that aren't smart are the ones that bang their head against the brick wall when things aren't working and they don't know to try something else. So the retreat is very important. It is. And I've always been pretty good at reinventing myself. And I don't kid myself about top 40. Top 40 is not something that I'm involved in anymore, although I had my 20-year lion's share of it. But now there's Michael Bublé and Josh Groban and Andrea Bocelli for me to work with that don't do top 40 but they sell cds and there's touring there's television shows i'm developing a television show with dr phil right now mm. nothing to do with music and just all these other things that i want to do so i'm solidly in my round three and it feels just as good as the first two rounds okay so now life 
can get messy and it can get difficult. What I would like to know is how do you protect your creativity so that you can continue to come out with new projects and new ideas, especially when, you know, this music business is not always easy. You have a lot of naysayers, but then you also have the comfort of much success too. So how do you keep your fire? It's a great question. And you girls being songwriters and performers, you kind of probably know your own answer to it. But I would say that I'm always prepared for failure. Always. So I saw this transition. I saw my round three coming when I was hot into round two. And so I think preparation for the next thing is inevitable. And the only thing constant is change. You know that nobody can sit at the top forever. And you know that there's going to be ups and downs. And the people that don't expect that there's ever going to be a downturn really get themselves into trouble because you have to manage expectations. And if you don't manage expectations, you're really going to be unhappy with yourself. And I'm relatively happy with myself. I would like to win more Grammys. I would like to write a song with Drake and have it be on the radio. It'd be great. It's probably not going to happen. So managing expectations is really, really important. And I think I've done it quite well. Where do you get your creative inspiration? Are you a morning creator, an evening creator? Do you have to go somewhere? Or are you always creating? This is the sad, sad part. Is that Allie that just asked me that? Rachel. Rachel. Oh, Rachel. For me, writing music and working on music is a job. Okay. It's a great job, but it's a job. I don't wake up in the middle of the night and get inspired. For instance, tomorrow I'm working with Jesse J. We're working on a special song for a special project. Uh-huh. She's coming over at noon, and I know that at noon i got to be ready to create. Okay. So I'm not going to lay awake tonight and try to get inspired about and try and imagine what we're going to do. When she hits the room at noon at my house here, we'll go to the keyboard and we'll start creating, and that'll be that. And it'll either be great or it won't. It's hard to imagine that it wouldn't be great with her because she's such an amazing singer. And you're managing Um, your expectations. You are expecting yourself to be ready to create at noon tomorrow. Yeah, and if we don't, we don't. And I won't lose any sleep over it. Okay. Well, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to multi-talented music mogul David Foster who besides winning 16 Grammys, he's also won an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and has had three Oscar nominations. You're visiting here with David Foster on the Mulberry Lane Show. When you are in the producer booth or when you are there producing, do you lead with your heart or your head? Well, some people say I'm heartless in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a benevolent dictatorship. Okay. I mean, I believe that compromise breeds mediocrity. Uh-huh. So, obviously, yeah. the most important person in the room is the artist, not me. But 99% of artists need and want direction. Mm-hmm. I know that when I made my solo albums, even though they weren't that successful way back in the day, I had a producer because I wanted direction because yeah. you, you're too close to yourself. And mm-hmm. so, most great singers love taking direction. It doesn't mean that you can't fight about it and have strong debates, but I want to be the boss in the studio. Okay. Yeah. So now, as far as the artists you discovered... Celine Dion, Josh Groban, Michael Bublé. What was it about them that spoke to you or touched you? And was that something you knew the public would embrace and get? Well, first of all, Celine Dion was a big star in Quebec when I came upon her, so I can't really take credit for discovering her, but I did bring her to America and did her first album. We had, you know, many, many hits together, like The Power of Love and uh, To Love You More and All By Myself and a long string of hits. But I always feel that people say, oh, you've got a magic touch. I don't think I do at all. I think I just see things the way the average person sees them. I mean, 
I saw Celine Dion and thought that millions of people would love her. That makes me the common man. I don't think you can be an elitist and find a okay. huge star that would sell millions of records. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw Michael Bublé at a wedding. He came out bouncing on the stage singing uh, Mac the Knife. I was like, holy crap, this guy's amazing. Well, uh, people are going to love this guy. Uh-huh. I don't think that makes me smart at all. Okay. So you probably feel like you're very clued into the general public, what most people would like. Well, I want to find things that you would like. Right. You know, I mean, I don't want to find things that the guy that writes for Rolling Stone likes uh-huh. because they're elitists. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with Rolling Stone, but they're elitists. Yes. Right. That's so true. I'm not interested in selling two records. I love, you know, that Celine, we were selling 25 million records of pop, that the Bodyguard sold 45 million, that uh, Tony Braxton sold 12 million. You know, I like that. Yeah. Okay, I mean, now, it's not about the money, it's just about success. Right. Now, besides the appeal and the songs of an artist, do you also feel like your ears are sonically, I'm sure you do, but like sonically tuned very accurately? Um, they are, because I have, you know, a musical gift, which I get to apply, but I believe that anybody's capable of discovering a star. I just happen to be able to follow up, go in the studio, play the piano, write the songs or co-write the songs, arrange the songs for orchestra and make the finished product. But I think you could still, there's many, many A&R people, great A&R people that work at record companies that find talent, that don't play an instrument and can't produce a record, right. but they can sure find talent. Gotta take a quick break. Stay right there. There's more with Hitman David Foster after this. Keep your creativity in high gear right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Dr. Mary Finnegan of Braddock Finnegan Dermatology is here to tell you about Aqua Gold. So Aqua Gold is a small vial that has small stainless steel needles that are finer than a human hair in which we can leave product in the surface of the skin. The procedure takes about 15 minutes for the whole face. It gives a very dewy look, an airbrushed look. There's mild redness, otherwise no downtime at all. Aqua Gold at Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. That's BraddockFinnegan.com. It's your weekend getaway, guys. You're hanging out here on the Mulberry Lane Show. It's Allie along with your radio sisters, Rachel and Bo. Glad you're here with us. In the middle of a chat with songwriting and producing legend David Foster. Let's get back right now. So now, how much do you feel does arrangement play into whether a song is a hit or not? I think it plays a lot into it. Although, in the end, what people care about is the beat. And the vocal. And I know that to be a fact. You know why? Okay. Because when you walk through a mall and you hear a song playing in the mall over those crappy speakers, mm-hmm. all you hear is the vocal and a little bit of the beat. You it's don't true. hear the chords. Yeah. You don't hear the string lines. You don't, You just hear the vocal and a little bit of the beat. And I'm going really back way before my time now. But imagine okay. Frank Sinatra walks into the studio and he's doing the song, I've Got You Under My Skin. And he comes in and Nelson Riddle comes, well, here's my chart. And it starts out, that's not part of the song, but it made the song. Yeah, yeah. Right? And Absolutely. Uh, think about Paul Young's song with that great fretless bass line. I mean, there's so many examples of where the arrangement really helped the song. Really become lifted the song. So now, what yeah. artists have you worked with throughout your career that surprised you in that they were way more successful than you thought, or maybe it didn't take off in the way you thought it would? 
Well, there's many artists I work with that didn't take off, for sure. I mean, you mentioned the group The Cores. Um, yes. I loved them from the day I saw them. Um, and they were super successful in Europe. We could never, ever break them in America, and I don't know why to this day, that we couldn't get the first base in America. We tried and tried. And then after three albums of me producing them, I said, okay, well, it must be my fault. <laughs> so because they were signed to me, I hired Mutt Lang, the great producer of Shania Twain and, yeah. and ACDC and Def Leppard, and he couldn't even get them a hit. So then I realized it maybe wasn't my fault. Uh -huh. um, I did a song called Man in Motion, which actually went to number one from St. Elmo's Fire. Right. And the artist was a guy named John Parr, who was a, pretty much a one-hit wonder uh, uh -huh. in America, but a great guy. And I never thought that song would become a hit, and it ended up going to number one. So you never know. You never know. Now, have you ever no. been in the studio where you get tears in your eyes during a performance? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I know that sounds cold, but no, because it's work. I've been amazed. I mean, when I used to watch Peter Satir, I mean, I've been amazed at Peter Satir when he would sing our songs and how incredibly laser beam it was both like. I got amazed when I was with Whitney, how she would work for 10 hours on the movie set of The Bodyguard and then come in, throw her jacket off and step up to the mic and go. I've been amazed when I put Natalie Cole and her father together, the beautiful blend of the two mm -hmm. family voices together. I was amazed at how hard Madonna worked when we worked together and what a great co-producer was and what an on-time girl she was and how dedicated she was as a as a real artist and a real producer. I was amazed every time I got in the studio with Josh Groban and know that there's a thousand other people like Josh, but they're just not quite like Josh. He could literally sing the phone book and kill it. Did you just listen to that list? Do you ever stop and think, wow, this is my life? I, I did just then because you asked me to. <laughs> That's yeah, because so when awesome. we were, somebody said to us once, when you make your list of what you've done and it sounds like, you know, you're totally bragging, but it's just your life, that's when you know you've been phenomenally successful. That was actually Rob Thomas yeah. who said yeah. that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that, and, and I really mean this, I swear to God, on my life, that I know I've accomplished a lot, but in some mornings I wake up and think I've done nothing and I, I better get with it. It's not too late to really get on it because... When your whole life can be encapsulated in one wall of gold records and one piano with Grammys on it, it's like, Jesus, is that, is that it? I mean, like, what, what, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more in my life than that. So maybe that's the key to success is that you're always moving the goalposts and pushing your boundaries and never happy with yourself. And there are things I want to still do. I want to have a hit Broadway play. I want to win a Tony. I love touring. That's so uh, awesome. You know, really good songs. And uh, I have my dear friend, dear friend, Walter Scott. I don't know if you know that yes. name or not. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. He's Omaha's greatest citizen and has done so much for that Absolutely. Uh, city. And, yeah. I, and I hope you'll leave this in the interview because Walter Scott is my dear friend. He's been so good to my foundation work in Canada. He's just pure gold, this guy. And Cindy, his friend Cindy, helped him with his fundraisers. And, and you um, are a also a big philanthropist. I mean, you have foundations and a lot of things that you have done, you know, with your success. To so, give back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a responsibility. And, and I think if you're raised right, it's just an automatic thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so for somebody like Walter Scott, I would do anything. You're hearing from David Foster right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. A few random facts about David Foster. He has been nominated for Grammys 47 times, winning 16 of them. He is the seventh most Grammy-nominated artist right behind Beyonce.
So now I have a question about, you know, because you said that in the studio, you know, Allie asked you if you'd ever had tears came to your eyes and you said no. And you tend to be cold in the studio. But so many of your hits and so many of your songs are huge love ballads and and romance. And are you a romantic at heart? Now, you know that the answer to that is yes. Okay. You would have to be. I would have to be. I've been married four times. And coming up a fifth. Congratulations. That's right. So I'm, I'm a total romantic. You know, I guess you could say I'm the worst person to ask for advice. Um, or I'm just, you know, I'm in love with love and I love being married. And I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, but okay. I am a romantic. But the switch is that when you're working, you're working. And that's why. Exactly. Yes. And maybe you girls can relate to that. I mean, work is work, right? Yeah, yep. work is work. But we, we tend to start crying in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, we but, tend to be emotional. But we're the artists. We are the artists, not the producer. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a loaded question in this political climate today. It's probably not even a, a PC question asked, but would you say that girls, women, are more emotional than men? You know, I honestly, I think it depends on the person. Me too. I don't think it's yeah. gender specific. And I, I have four kids. I have two boys and two girls. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, my boys are way more emotional than my girls. Really? Which is really surprising to me. And I have two kids, and my girl is more emotional than my boy, so. Interesting. What's your answer to that? I always thought women were more emotional. And, you know, we're four sisters, and we have to say that mm. we're, we're much more emotional than our dad. And then exactly. our emotion feeds off, because if one of us starts crying, then the other one will. I mean, it, it feeds itself, too. So it probably it's environmental, I would think, too. Yeah, nature versus nurture. Yeah. I mean, I always said to myself that my emotion comes through my piano. It okay. comes through my fingers. I like when I that. sit at the piano is when I feel the most emotional. And you okay. feel it. Do you feel it like in your arms and everything? I do. I really do. Oh, I love I really that. Do. Okay, so is yeah. that when you feel closest to your creative spirit? Yes, 100%. When you're playing. The piano, I mean, I can't even tell you where my fingers stop and the piano starts. Okay. Because I've been doing it since I was five. It's just been my constant companion, you know. An extension of yourself, really. Yeah, it is. Well, we found yeah. out the secret of David Foster. <laughs> <laughs> a hard-working guy that uh, gets some hits and has a lot of minutes. David, we yeah. want to thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today. It's been fabulous getting to know you. We've watched you from a distance, and it's great to uh, be able to chat with you. It's always nice when the person that you meet up close is better than the person from a distance. You know, sometimes it can go oh, the, like it that. can go the opposite way. So. Yeah, yeah. So I we like thoroughly well, enjoyed this. Um, Allie, Rachel, I wish you continued success. I thank, thanks, girls. Really appreciate it. That's music icon David Foster here on the Mulberry Lane Show. When we come back, meet filmmaker Leanne Lenson with her new film involving Willie Nelson and Bono. Keep it right here with your radio sisters. You Find your creative road down Mulberry Lane. Welcome back to the Mulberry Lane Show. It's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie. Well, Leanne Lunson is an award-winning documentary filmmaker whose latest project stars her good friend Willie Nelson in a lead role and executive producer Bono is also music director. Now, the film is called Waiting for the Miracle to Come, and you guys are going to hear all about it right now. Welcome 
Welcome to the show, Leanne Lansen. Thank you. It was wonderful. Ah, good to have you with us. Can you tell, you know, for our listeners a little bit about what they'll get out of the story? Well, you know, it's set in a very dreamy landscape, very magical place. It's very beautiful to look at. The film follows a young girl on a journey. I think the message in the story is, you know, when you heal other people, you heal yourself. And I think she takes this journey and you know, and Willie Nelson plays a big part. I don't want to give the story away. Okay. But him and Charlotte Rampling play husband and wife. And Charlotte Rampling is a very, very esteemed actor. Oh. And so she flew all the way from Paris to make wow. this film with Willie. You know, I wanted to shoot it at his ranch in the town that he built for the red-headed stranger. And he left that town on his ranch. Okay. I shot my documentary there. And I wanted to shoot the film there, which we did. Everyone really came towards this film because of Willie. We all did. Wow. Talk about how Bono comes into the mix. Well, you know, when I did the video for Willie many years ago, I did it in Ireland, and I took Willie to U2 Studio to introduce him to them. And I had known that they had written a song. Bono had written a song for Willie. And... I suspected that they might record it when Willie was at the studio, which they did, and I shot that and put it in my documentary. And, you know, Bono was probably the first person I told that I wanted to make this film. You know, he helped push me towards financing and put me with a good team, and he wrote the end song, and which is sort of the theme to the movie. So now it seems like you have written your own story. What advice would you have for someone out there who maybe their career path isn't crystal clear and they're just kind of following their creative instincts? What advice would you have for navigating kind of the field and in finding your place? Well, I think creativity comes from a very special place inside a human being. And I think that the most authentic you can be in what you want to do is really important. You know, I'm very drawn to very contemplative spiritual characters. And so that's sort of where I was led. And I think if you really get in touch with what you really want to do, then, you know, you'll be pushed towards that direction, you know? Love that. You know, because you are drawn to the spiritual characters, do you think that is what drew Willie to you and Bono to you as well? Well, I think the three main people that I have worked with, you know, Bono, Willie Nelson, Leonard Cohen, they are deeply spiritual men who really take people on a journey through their career. You know, they sort of take you out into the desert and if you listen to their work and and it's an ongoing experience and they are deeply, deeply spiritual people. They don't have this sort of ego that sometimes celebrities or people have. I mean, I've been around a lot of famous people, and you you get drawn to the ones that do not have a fake front, so to speak. Right, right. Well, because that's who you are, too. I mean, you were attracted to the people that were similar to you in that way. If you get in touch with yourself, particularly if you're a creative person, you've got to draw those people in. My main goal is spirituality, so I think that I drew those sort of people towards me You know, I think that there's a bigger plan. And these people have really taught me a lot. I came out of these projects a much better person, you know, much deeper person and with a much wider perspective on life. Well, you're the lucky one because you can tell and you know exactly what you want. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I think that's important, uh-huh. you know. Again, for advice of filmmakers, is just to be as authentic as you can as to what your gift could possibly be. Yes. You know? And, you know, that's hard to do because you feel so vulnerable and exposed, especially if you're around people that are putting on a lot of bravado or whatever. It's hard to stay in that centered place. It is, and I try not to work with people like that. Oh, you yes. know, I... I just wouldn't be able to contribute anything because the connection wouldn't be there. there. Mm. Well, if you're just joining the show, you're listening to film director Leanne Lunson right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, this film takes an interesting look at adoption. And adoption is very close to my heart because uh, my daughter, we adopted from China. So what inspired this angle in the movie? Well, my father left when I was about two and I didn't grow up with a father. Uh Uh-huh. When you've been left as a child and it's not been in a good way, that feeling of rejection is a very difficult thing to shake and it really trails you through your life. And so the courage to actually reach out to that person that you felt rejected you is just terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I I wanted to explore that aspect that a lot of people go through. It's a very lonely sort of space. And I, I really wanted to explore that aspect, that there could be miscommunication. You know, I probably could have looked for my father a lot earlier, but, you know, I was too frightened. And I think that that sort of theme in the story of these missed opportunities is really part of what happened in these situations, you know, and it's devastating for people who want to find their birth parents and their birth parents say they don't want to see them. <laughs> you right. know? Yes, and I agree. I, I don't think that feeling ever leaves someone who mm. who has been left as a child. No, it doesn't. And I think that, you know, in my world, I always fantasized about what a father would be like because you actually don't know what the feeling. You don't know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. So, And whenever I would think about this person who was, would be my father, it would always be in a beautiful place which is why where they live is called the beautiful place. Because uh-huh. when you think about things that you want or you dream about things, as a child, you always put them in a, in a beautiful place. So that's the beautiful place in the film where magic sort of things and miracles can sort of happen. You know, a lot of my experiences are in this film because I think when you do your first feature film, you sort of do what you know. Uh-huh. And I did what I knew. So what do you hope people take away when they see the film? I really want people to have a slow meditative experience and take this all in. And I hope it makes them think about their own families and how important these connections are. You know, I think that, you know, when I met my dad, I realized how that was the other half of who I was. Uh And I saw all these things that he did and habits and I had the same thing and I think that in your psyche there's sort of a longing to connect to that person who is the other half of who you are Mm -hmm. you know I hope that people get connected to the film and they can talk about it afterwards also the idea of death is very prevalent in this film I believe that in death you know we can be so overwhelmed by grief that we really can't see that the light that's coming from people who have left us. And often, you know, they've left us, it seems so dramatic and terrible, but, you know, maybe they've left us because they can do much bit more from where they are uh-huh. and really sort of help us mm-hmm. in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's what the father does in this movie. 
And, you know, my dad died not long after I connected with him. And, and honestly, it was when he died was the first time I felt like I had that feeling of what having a father w- was like. Mm. Because somehow he connected to me in, in that realm. Yes. Yeah, into death. And I chose to look at it in that way because uh-huh. I think that if you can look at these, what we think are traumatic experiences in a spiritual way and connect to that energy that person had spiritually, they will often open a pathway for us. Right. And you realize that that pathway could not have been opened without them. Without them. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Really loved connecting with you, and Likewise. your next project, you're going to have to come back and visit again. This, you know, very inspirational. It's been nice talking to you. That's film director Leanne Lunson right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Make sure you check out Waiting for the Miracle to Come. It's out now on DVD, Blu-ray. You can get it just about anywhere you can get films. And also check out the Facebook page, Waiting for the Miracle to Come, and the chat group right there on Facebook. When we come back, you're going to hear all about what to eat when. Two doctors join the show to help get you on the path to health. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. Fueling you up with the good stuff. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. Your weekend getaway. Glad you're hanging out here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I'm Bo here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. All right, guys. Well, can you improve your weight, your health, and your quality of life by making better choices, not just on what you eat, but when you eat? Well, Dr. Michael Roizen, Chief Wellness Officer of Cleveland Clinic, and Dr. Michael Crupain, Medical Director of the Dr. Oz Show, are here right now to reveal the secrets in the revolutionary new book, What to Eat When. Welcome, welcome to the show, Dr. Michael Roizen and Dr. Michael Crupain. That's the first time I've been welcomed to a show singing, so thanks. Hey. Okay, well, we're really happy to have both of you here. This book is revolutionary in that it adds the when to the mix. So, Dr. Roizen, why is the when important? Well, the when is surprisingly important, and that is our sleep pattern, and in fact, everything we do is governed by our circadian rhythm. Okay. Circadian rhythm means the sun sets it. So by the sun coming on and going off, it sets the hormone levels that help us to sleep, but also does that for what we eat. So a calorie is a calorie is a calorie is true in the test tube, but in your body, because of the way the circadian rhythm changes, a calorie in the morning is used much more efficiently, or is like 0.9 calories, to a calorie in the evening where you become insulin resistant more likely to store it as fat when you eat in the evening because it's 1.1 calories. So you can eat the same amount of food early in the day as you would later in the day and lose weight by eating it earlier. In addition, you'll feel more energy, you'll sleep better, and you won't be hungry at night. So the when becomes very important. So then, Dr. Crupain, how did you discover this and then put this together in this book? Well, it all has to do with the science. There's a lot of great science, and there's been a lot of data in animals, but there, more recently we found some data in humans. 
And actually, one of the interesting things is that both Mike and I used to eat the opposite way of what we now recommend. Okay. But when we saw the science, we were so convinced by it that we made the change. Okay. So now in the book, there are chapters devoted to specific symptoms like stress, fatigue, grief, headaches, digestive problems, all different types of things. Dr. Royzen, the when affects those things as well. So explain a little bit about how that works. That's exactly right. So the book is really in three sections. The first quarter of it is the science, the circadian rhythm. The second quarter of the book is a 30-day plan so that it's easy to switch from your current regimen to eating 75% of your calories before 2 p.m. and finish eating three hours before bedtime. Just to add there, it's surprising. It's not as hard as you think it will be. When you do this, it actually changes your appetite, so it's a lot easier than you think it's going to be. Okay. And then the third and part the of the third book? the third part yeah. of the book is those situations, okay. such as what to eat if you're having problems sleeping or if you're angry or if you're stressed or what to eat before first date or what to eat to prevent cancers. Fasting is important. So, Dr. Krupain, explain why fasting is good for us and a healthy way to do it. There's lots of different ways to do fasting, and what we recommend in the book is that you eat with the sun. And if you do this, you're naturally going to have a period when you're not eating, which is when the sun's not shining, and that's what your metabolism expects. Ideally, that's about 12 hours at least, but if you can make it a little longer, you can get to 13, 14, or 16 hours, that's a little bit better. And some of the benefits from fasting are that it helps the body rejuvenate a little bit. It helps increase stem cell production, helps increase some factors that are protective for your body. And the other thing is, when you fast, you can burn through, if you do it right, you can burn through your glycogen stores, and glycogen is the storage form of energy that sugar is put into. So sugar or glucose or carbs, right, uh-huh. they become glycogen, and then you have a certain amount of that, and it can last about 16 to 24 hours. So if you're eating your carbs early in the day and you're eating them cold and you have a nice fast of 16 hours, you can probably get into ketosis during the night, which is burning fat instead of carbs, so that can also help with some weight. While we're sleeping, and what could be better than that? Exactly. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Royzen and Dr. Krupain, authors of the new book, What to Eat When, right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. And then before we let you go, your approach in this book is all about self-empowerment. You know, so many times as people, we get stuck not just in you know our food choices, but also in life choices. So as you two have produced this book and, and seen people embrace it, do you see that when people make good food choices, it also extends into other things like life choices? Dr. Royzen. When people make small changes, like even walking a little more, they tend to eat a little healthier. They tend to make other life choices in a more healthful way. Uh-huh. You're exactly right. They bounce off each other. And it's almost like you're changing the whole group that your buddies with because all of the group changes a little healthier when you get healthier, too. Uh-huh. And that if you mess up or you go you know go off the plan or eat a big dinner one night that's okay you can just uh, get back on tomorrow because your circadian rhythm is set by the sun and the sun rises every day so every day you have a chance to, to do better a new start every day i love that well doctors we want to thank you so much for joining the show bringing this book what to eat when to our listeners we'll be reading and we'll find our buddies and get started guys check out what to eat when by dr Royzen and dr Coupain. Okay, time for our favorite part of the show, show notes. 
Show notes is where we handpick the best pieces of advice from each guest on this episode. That's right, Rachel. Earlier in the show, we had 16-time Grammy award-winning producer and songwriter David Foster, and his advice was all about reinventing yourself when you hit a new phase in your life. He says sometimes you have to really look at things and decide if they're working or not. And if they're not working, you have to retreat and attack in another direction. He said don't keep banging your head against a brick wall when it's not working. Really look at things strategically and find another way to go about it. Yep, sometimes you need to step back and strategically redirect. Great advice from a legend. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rachel, Leanne Lenson was next. Her best piece of advice is... Yes, Leanne is a film director, most recently worked with Willie Nelson on the film Waiting for the Miracle to Come. Now, her advice is all about being your most authentic self as a creative because when you bring your authenticity, you will attract to yourself the right people and the right project that ends up being a joyful experience. And if you're a creative, you know how important joy is in the experience. So if you can skip over the people and the projects that just bring you frustration and shut that creative process down, why not? So Leanne reminds you to be the best and most authentic you that you can be and you'll attract the right things. So good, Rachel. Okay, and finally, you heard from two doctors, Dr. Roizen and Dr. Krupain, authors of the book, What to Eat When. And they said this, when you make a small change in your life, even the change to eat a little healthier, you naturally just start to make other life choices that are also better for you. And this causes a ripple effect within your life to go in a better direction. So if you're trying to reconstruct your life, forget about the big things. Just start making small, tiny changes and that will slowly turn you toward the right path. Baby steps to that goal. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Mulberry Lane Show. We will be here same time, same place next weekend. Your radio sisters will meet you right here on the sister couch. <laughs> That's right. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Woo! Yeah. 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 Yeah